0: Good day, everybody. Hey, I must be channeling my Australian today. Anyway, glad to have you on the C4SO podcast today. Our guest is Chris McDaniel, who is the founder and rector of Trinity Anglican Church on the west side of Atlanta. In our conversation with Chris today, we talk about the spiritual formation aspects of Advent, how Advent implies an unfolding story and how that story is meant to inform our formation into Christlikeness. I think you'll be fascinated by this episode. Here we go. Today, I am with one of my buddies, Chris McDaniel. Dang, we haven't been on a podcast together, Chris. Good to see your face. Oh, it's so good to see you, Todd. You know, I I used to be a fan when you and Karen had your podcast, but are you going to bring it back or what?
1: I think we are going to bring that thing back. It was a lot of fun. We, we did a little uh, daily office based, daily lectionary based podcast called Renewing the Center. And it was a, a kind of pandemic strategy during the darkest days for our church. I thought, yeah. we're just going to put three, 10 minutes out there a week and super fun. We'll, we'll bring some version of it back here before long. Good.
0: Yeah, I was thinking of it because uh, a big part of what we want to talk about today is the, the human heart, the, the mm. human soul. So this first series of podcasts that I'm doing for C4SO is called A Storied Season, and we're going to be looking at uh, aspects of the church seasons and, of course, coming into Advent, uh, A Storied Season Advent. And I want to talk to you, Chris, today about what I'm titling Advent in Our Heart. Mm. And what I mean to get at there is that, you know, Advent is uh, obviously and unavoidably and rightfully kind of a theological reality everybody knows it to be a church calendar year reality you know it it tells the story that we're alluding to but obviously the intent is it is for it to be much more than that so as you've been walking congregations now for what 10 12 15 years (laughs) through the through advent which which advent are you coming up on
1: it's probably yeah we we actually observed advent before we were anglican oh, and okay. As a vineyard, so tw- 20 years of advent. Yeah.
0: All right so so you and your team have been walking people through advent for for uh, 20 years. What are the kind of things you think of in like your teaching, your preaching, your discipling of how advent ought to help us shape a soul in Christ.
1: That's a really good question. I my mind immediately goes back to Eugene Peterson's translation of John one, where he says the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. I, that, that image just for me, uh, captures the whole essence of what Jesus is coming. His coming is, uh, to, to be in proximate space, to be close to us. So when I think about Advent from a, a formational perspective, um, it's, you know, Brian, Brian, Brian Stevenson says, you know, that proximity, that's how we impact one another. And I think about the word coming into the neighborhood and this reality that Jesus is coming is all about him coming into our space and encouraging us, but also laying claim to us, uh, placing claims upon us. And so I think that's the essence of, yeah. of what Advent means for me from a formational perspective and how it shapes our soul. What does it mean when Jesus comes close? And then how does he lay claim to me and and what kind of intimate whisperings do I receive from him uh, regarding healing and whatever it is that we need when we're in dark places waiting for him to come?
0: Yeah. So thinking back on the, the times you've led Trinity through Advent, um, what are the kinds of things you find yourself uh, as you design Sunday Mornings? Mm. What are the kind of things you've you've found yourself doing over the years and why when it comes to communicating the like you said the radical centrality of presence you know both in a spiritual formation sense and you know thinking of Brian Stevenson in a, a missional sense
1: yeah I think one of the things that I've learned to do is to let John the baptizer say what he came to say during the advent season which is pre- prepare um, yeah. And that image of prepare the way of the Lord, and I remember, I think it was N.T. Wright who said, you know, imagine that your driveway is cluttered and debris filled and someone very important, a king is coming to visit you, you clean, you clear the driveway so that there is an ease of access. And I think for me, when I imagine how God has shaped our own congregation through Advent, it's to not rush too quickly to the sentimental notions of kind of Mm. breeding card spirituality, but to really let the uncomfortable prophetic voice of John the Baptizer stand front and center. I mean, he he is the star of Advent in my mind in terms of the one calling us to get ready. And that, I mean, Todd, that means repentance. It means... Fasting it means looking at the debris and the clutter and doing something about it, and and I think yeah. that's where we've really found the, most of our growth has been involved in saying the beauty of the shepherds and angels is coming, but not yet. John yeah. has something to say to us first.
0: Yeah. Well, what I like about what you're saying is a really important particularity. I mean, you and I both have kids old enough to either say to us because they're PKs, either say kiddingly or seriously, well, the universe is speaking to me or, you know, the universe spoke to so-and-so. And, And of course, in Christian spirituality, as you said, we're talking about a really specific person with flesh and blood. And so yes. when we talk about Christ likeness, we're not talking about ideals or the universe. We're talking about shaping our souls in and around this real person. Um, so think a bit more about how you guys teach on that kind of thing at Trinity or how you try to communicate that. in that.
1: I'm, I mean, it's exactly what you said. It's the, the scandal of particularity. Mm. I mean, John, when I think about John, Yes. John John had familiarity, familial familiarity with Jesus. Mm -hmm. So that, that image of like, I thought I knew you and then I saw the Holy spirit descend on you. It took the knowing of Jesus to a whole nother place, which actually undid a lot of the prior uh, preconceptions of knowing. I think we're exactly the same way. Uh, We've got to let the, the scandal of the particularity of who Jesus is and what he's come to say to us, because Mm -hmm. You know, I, we said this, I think, the first year of the pandemic, we were uh, standing in a freezing cold parking lot. And we said, you know, this is maybe the most Adventy Advent ever because <laughs> yeah. we're actually we're in a darkness. Um, mm-hmm. We're in a kind of bright sadness. And when Jesus comes, he actually comes to to do and say and be with us in very particular ways, ways that actually lay claim to our lives, the trajectory mm-hmm. of our lives. And so for us, a- Advent has always been a um a heavy spiritual formation emphasis. What does making room look like? I mean, I think Mm -hmm. of Mary, she made room for, for Jesus. She, she quite literally became a house for Jesus. And so then if we ask ourselves within the context of community, what does it mean for me to, to be a house for the growth of the work of God? That's an inconvenient. I mean, that's, that's going to do something in terms of how we order our lives. It's going to mean something for us.
0: Yeah. And when we were at Holy Trinity in Costa Mesa, um, you know, we made big use out of the Advent words of hope, peace, joy, yep, love, same. Uh, you know, that emerge out of our Advent readings. And that's a way of getting at some of the qualities or, or character uh, characteristics or qualities of being that Jesus had. You know, you, you've heard me say before that really my Christianity is born in the fact that I'm just a Jesus freak. And so, yeah. like you said, th- this person who, you know, as Peterson said, I think in the, the intro to John that he pitched his tent and lived amongst us, or is that in the text? I can't remember yeah, now. If that's no, he, the he
1: moved into the neighborhood. I mean, it, yeah. it, he quite literally says that in John one in the message. Yeah. Yes,
0: yeah. So, so again, he came with these particularities you've been talking about, including right. hope, joy, peace, love, and uh, that often gave us an imagination for. Um, like discipling people into Christ like characteristics and other years we would use them to kind of tell the story of about how they they play in the story.
1: Yeah. And the lighting of the candles that correspond Mm -hmm. to those values and the readings, even the visceral image of, of the advent wreath, whether it's in your home or at the front of of the Mm -hmm. church as those candles burn down and kind of make a mess, and you recognize that it's it was within a context of darkness and uncertainty that Jesus came, and it's within a similar context that He will come again. I, I think we'll probably talk about that in a few minutes. That that Advent's really about two comings: yeah. the the mm-hmm. first and the second coming. I think our church uh, loved the symbolism of those Advent wreaths because it, it reminds us that we actually strike a flame in the darkness and we watch as we march uh, through time. And I, I think one of the gifts of Advent from a formational perspective, as we look at the symbols of the way the church engages, is that it's actually one of our more intentional marking time moments mm-hmm. in the church yeah. calendar. Yes, People are dialed in. Uh, Because it's short enough to actually go, we're we're actually going to track this as we Mm -hmm. walk through it and look for Jesus's uh, presence and his coming and make room for his presence as we move toward the Feast of the Nativity.
0: Yeah, you're kind of blowing your cover here, Chris. I mean, I don't think a lot of people are going to think about Trinity having Advent candles. I mean, come on, you You guys, you. you were doing it. We're into it, man. I tell
1: you, this year we're actually uh, we're gonna have a family service on the first Sunday of Advent, which I think is yeah. the twenty seventh of November, sometime yeah. like that. And we're gonna give every family or every household of friends. Advent candles to take home because nice. we really are serious about this. I mean, Trinity, we go all in on the liturgical seasons. It's a lot of fun.
0: <laughs> I know, but nobody would think of you guys that way. So now I want to bring you back to the serious question. Like I know you and your team to be very thoughtful. Um, so why would you send families home with Advent kids? That's really cool.
1: Yeah. And for us, it's it, we define family, you know, people who are who happen to be married and have kids <laughs> But then you've got spiritual family of roommates right. and and friend groups. We, we want to send them all home with kits because we believe that the marking of time, specifically during Advent, is more than a weekly ritual. It's a daily ritual, right? I mean, yeah. we're talking about roughly, you know, 25 to whatever days mm-hmm. to, to take time at the end of the day, um, preferably, you know, after a meal when the day is winding down, kind of that Compline space, that Vesper yeah. space, to just say – Jesus, you're coming and I'm making myself ready for you. There's something so beautiful in the liturgical act of lighting those candles that I think pull our people into the story. Yeah. Um, and and I, I think furthermore, back to what you just mentioned about, about Peterson, doing that in our homes versus just the church and I don't think it's an either or, it's a both. It reminds us that it was into a home that Jesus came. It, it, was, it yeah. was into a neighborhood, if you will, to borrow that phrase from Peterson. So he's entering my intimate space. So I should probably light candles in my intimate space.
0: Mm. Nice. That's so cool. Um, so what I, part of what I hear you saying is that the Advent candles uh, and the readings and the, the Advent words um, they invite us into a story and I don't know why we're on Peterson so much today, but <laughs> God, God rest his beloved soul. I know. we Amen. Know um, But you remember you, one of the things that was so important to Eugene over his life and in his writings is that these stories have to be actionable. Like, yeah. like the text needs to be able to be lived or it's not yet coming alive to us. And I hear mm-hmm. you saying that you use these tools to remind Trinity of a story, a story yeah. in which they're meant to be actors.
1: That's exactly right. And I think a story where we fully engage Jesus as a principal actor, because I think so often, even in our, in our own activism or our own action, we forget that this is that we worship a God who has come close to us. And yeah. if Advent is, if Christmas is about God close, then Advent is about me preparing in expectation that he is coming close to me. So he and me, we both become actors in that in that movement. Yeah, yeah.
0: amen. Well, yeah, let's get back to what you mentioned a moment ago. Uh, Advent in our um, liturgical readings, uh, we, we go from one year where the readings are mostly focused on Jesus' first coming the next cycle, they typically are focused on the second coming. Yeah. Uh, and in general, that could just be a little odd for somebody who's new to Anglicanism, you know, new to new to Advent, whatever the heck that is. Like, give me my Christmas, you know, give me my Christmas carols. Don't be telling for me. Real. I, I have to wait until Christmas. So. What, how, how have you guys handled it at Trinity when it comes up that it's a you know it's an eschatological year to use the big word where the readings are all pointing to the second coming and the waiting that we're doing there. so you know like Israel had to wait thousands of years for the coming of the Messiah. Now we on the other side of the Messiah have waited thousands of years for the second coming. like how do you make that eschatological stuff any part of formation?
1: Oh God finishes what he starts. All right. I mean I I think for us, you know, we we are all probably exhausted from living in that squishy middle and one of the great gifts of meditating upon the second coming, the return of Jesus is that we will not be left orphaned. The project of our lives will not be an incomplete project that Jesus in the in the words of John the Revelator, he makes all things new. And I just think there's a, um, again, Advent is such a gift to us, especially, you know, I didn't grow up in the liturgical church. So I came to Advent as an adult. Advent liberates me from the sappy sentimentalism of greeting card spirituality by inviting me into the gritty first coming and this powerful uh, consummation of the second coming of Christ. And that whole, I mean, that's what renewal is all about. And so I think that what we see there is just this like future f- forward facing hope that whatever the mess is that we may be facing and whatever we may be mired in or stuck wrestling through or dis- places of disappointment, disillusionment, Jesus is going to complete the work that he began. And I'll yeah. tell you, Todd, if, if there's a thing we need to hear more repetitively in the last three years is that Jesus finishes what he starts.
0: Yeah, no kidding. Hi, I'm David Taylor, C4SO scholar-in-residence for arts, media, and culture.
1: And I'm Phaedra Taylor, a visual artist who happens to be married to David.
0: And we are excited to share The Light Has Come, a collection of illustrated prayer cards that we have created for Advent, Christmas, and Epiphany.
1: This collection of 25 cards includes themes that we're familiar with, like joy and peace or Mary and Joseph but also less familiar ones like sorrow and refugees, the mundane and the fantastical.
0: And our hope with these prayer cards is that individuals like yourself, families, small groups, will experience the nativity narratives in a fresh way in hopes of discovering a story that truly heals our broken world.
1: If you'd like to learn more or purchase the cards, visit store.rabbitroom.com. And we hope you have a wonderful Advent season
0: with those that you love. I mean, I'll just keep it real. Uh, I think it happened to me yesterday because I don't—I didn't read the news this morning. But yesterday, I was just reading the news, Chris. Just Ukraine and I know uh, recession, inflation, uh, political strife. Um, uh, I, I can't remember there are two or three other major things, and you just think that the human heart can only take so much. True, and that stuff's really real, and it breaks our hearts. And then, in addition to that, we, most of us have trouble at work. Uh, we might have a neighbor that's mad at us. You know, we could be in a tiff with one of our kids. Yeah, and man, it is really easy to become kind of hopeless. It does. And, it and so, how do how do you guys how do you and your team connect? You know, like eschatology is such a big abstract word. Yeah. But I mean, you've already said it, that God finishes what he starts. But like, I want you to think about the people, you know, in Trinity who are living with that tension that I just described and, and, and picture yourself again, helping them see how, what God's um, starts, he finishes matters.
1: Amen. And I think we see that taught in both comings. I mean, Jesus mm-hmm. en- enters into the nitty gritty, broken darkness and and he does that in in bethlehem and he he will do that in your life whatever it is that you're yeah. facing and where you're going and i i look at this beautiful invitation for us during the advent season and i it just I think it's designed. Like the beauty of the rhythms of the liturgical year are designed to occasionally put put the hand of God under our chins and lift our heads up to the hills and say, "This is where my help is coming from." God, God is yeah. God is not aloof from human suffering. Yes. He's not He's not afraid of of sin and brokenness and misery. And honestly, Todd, he's he's not even afraid of people's deconstruction. Um, Jesus moves toward the mess. He moves toward yeah. the darkness. And, you know, my mind goes when I think about the, the darkness and how God finds us in the darkness. You know, the cha- the challenge, the challenge we have is that our eyes don't work very well in dark places, but God's yeah. do. You know, I think uh-huh. that's what David meant in the Psalms when he said darkness is not dark to you. He was probably implying the inverse, which is like, but it right. is pretty dark for me. And I think about the little the little boy in in the um, one of the Narnia books that was sitting in the tombs, just totally bereft of community and cold and afraid, and something warm saddles up next to his back, and it turns out it was Aslan that had just sat next to him. Yeah. And in the dark, he kept him warm and reminded him that he wasn't alone. I, I think that there's something about Advent uh, when we light that Christ candle um, yeah. at our midnight mass on Christmas Eve. It's like a reminder that in the dark Jesus comes and he he he's warm and solid and mm. sturdy, and he keeps me oriented in the dark, yeah. and I think the first amen. and the second coming they teach us that if yeah. we'll if we'll listen, if yeah. we'll pay attention and make
0: some space, yeah, amen, well, I do remember, as you said a moment ago that uh you and I both were i don't know if we were officially on the Canterbury trail but but I know I was starting to read Anglicans and I think I was using um uh, Celtic daily prayer. I don't know if I was using the Anglican prayer book, but I'd started using liturgy. Yeah. uh, And you know, there was some interest in that. So so I why you'd again, picture your team, you know, sitting around a, a planning table, you weren't lifelong Anglicans. You're you, you yourselves are beginning to get something spiritually enriching out of the liturgical life. If you were just to say to, you know, the hundreds of your colleagues and Christian leaders who listen to this podcast, who are maybe beginning to be on that liturgical sort of Canterbury trail, say something about how you guys um, say something more, if you can, about how, when your team plans these Advent practices, how you're consciously connecting them to real human beings and their spiritual journeys. Right. Like I'm picturing Marty choosing music and right. you guys pick, picking the lection you're going to speak from, that kind of really practical stuff.
1: Yeah. And even backing up from that, mm-hmm. just in general, I think one of the things that we have to recognize as we move into some of these uh, these new spaces, um, but even for people who are cradle Anglicans, we we must never forget to expressly state the why behind the what. Uh, So for us, we start all of our planning and all of our our preparation by saying to ourselves first, this is a season to help us get ready. We are preparing. Mm -hmm. We are letting John tell us what this next season is about, what Advent's Mm -hmm. about. It's a preparation time to get ready for the coming of Jesus, first and second coming. So then out of that um, narrative of preparation, then all the songs we sing The sermons we preach, we don't allow ourselves to rush to the to the manger. We actually want because I think Advent is a time for building tension in the same way that if you are on a long journey, there is a tension building before you arrive. If you are doing a, a, a work project like preparing the way in your driveway, there's there's tension of the process. And so we try to demonstrate a sense of restraints. Like we we are in a get ready. So we keep the why behind the what, like at the very front of our hearts. And we actually express that to our church. We're like, this is not, we we will be there when we get there. But right now this is about you preparing your life to get ready. So all the songs, all the sermons, the, the, the advent devotions that we put in people's hands, the candles that we light, uh, they're all about anticipation. And I actually, Todd, think that in a, in a culture and in a society that is so full of instant gratification, yes. we, we've lost sight of what it means to right. anticipate something and to wait for it. You know, yeah. and Advent is uh, similar to Lent. You know, there are seasons mm-hmm. where we're told to wait for something and to look for something. Yeah. And I just don't think we're very good at it. But what I have found is that whether you grew up in the Anglican tradition or not, we all know when we're confronted with it in our bones, like it's not good that I'm not great at waiting for stuff. And so I think that people receive the invitation as a one that's relatively intuitive. It's like, okay, I need to wait for this. I need to work with Jesus to prepare my heart. And then all your liturgies just have to support that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's one thing I know about Trinity is that when you guys choose elements of liturgy and you arrange them the way you do, it's always done very thoughtfully to, um, be the means to the end that you guys drew up, you might say, on the whiteboard in staff meeting. That's right. That's exactly right. And So you're never just doing liturgy um, in that sense of sort of rote. You're always either doing pastoral care or evangelism through liturgy,
1: right? That's exactly right. And and because we were, you know, we're quote unquote relatively new converts. I think I've been an Mm -hmm. Anglican for 14, 15, 14 and a half years, something like that but i would argue that none of us should ever just do the do the liturgy yeah. Because the liturgy actually, including the church calendar, it, it places the beauty of this drama in front yeah. of us. But if we don't point to the drama, people will just default to like, oh, this is when we don't eat certain things or this is when we light certain candles. Right. And I think that it's our responsibility. I think we actually have a moral responsibility to point to the why behind the what. It's like, why, why are we doing yeah. this in the first place?
0: Yeah. Like you said, we as Americans and probably most of the developed world, we just don't wait very well. I mean, we don't. I, I've been in Atlanta enough to know that your traffic, what well, your traffic is bad, but your drivers are almost as bad as California. And, you know, people will see, people will put people's lives at line to get 30 feet more asphalt, like so just, to, just to cut into something. I, are you. Are you Our unofficial
1: motto, the city of Atlanta, is the city too busy to hate. I mean, we've made an (laughs) idol out of busyness, you know? And yet the (laughs) funny thing about Christmas is that Christmas, the feast of the nativity, happens on the same day every year, and yet it sneaks up on us every year. Yeah. And and we start with that intuitive that intuitive Mm. statement at the beginning of Advent. Listen, every year this sneaks up on you. Advent is a way for Christmas to not sneak up on us. We're just going to get ready together. And people think, well, dang, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah.
0: I was picturing uh, today, you know how we, when we all are ready to check out at a supermarket or something, we always look for the shortest line. Yeah. Because... We don't want to wait. And if there's some little old lady in front of us who doesn't know how to use her chip reader and it takes like three seconds longer, (laughs) our heads heads are about to explode. Yeah, Um, Yeah. That's one of the things I really do genuinely miss about uh, being like you, a rector, is that these are just great tools, as you've been explaining to us. To deal with real human beings whose souls are actually deeply troubled. Yes. And they don't know how to be at rest and to wait. And every year we've got this neon sign saying, yes, you know, Israel waited. We're waiting. But as yes. you said, there's a there there. There's a telos there. There is. So, so we're not waiting in sort of stupid hope or naive hope. We're waiting in a sure hope.
1: That's right. And I think that what we've seen is that the darker your circumstances feel, the more Advent-y it, it, it is, because it was in, a, in remarkable darkness that Jesus came. And the imagination for me of Jesus enters into darkness, then what that does for me is if you do that, if we talk about that, socialize that idea then no one's exempted from, from the gift of the coming of God because yeah. none of us are priced out. None of us are disqualified. None of us have been left out. And in that sense, Advent for us is, is it's an evangelistic season because it's actually a time where people who think they're far away. I mean, I think of the shepherds, right? Like these guys yeah. were handling dead sheep and ceremonially unclean. They were people of the, of the fields. And it was right. to them that the message of Jesus is coming, yeah. is announced. And yeah. gosh, if they're brought in, then how much more uh, the rest of us. And and I think also, Todd, you know, the Christmas season, even among the most faithful Christian that we know, it's filled with busyness, with spending, yeah. with yeah. parties, with being around family that maybe stir up a lot of anxiety in us. Yeah. And so the church, we just have such an opportunity to give people a place to say, here, we're going to light candles we're going to prepare our hearts, and we're going to get ready. Yeah. yeah, we need it.
0: That's a great point, Chris. I I don't think James K. Smith made precisely this point, but you remember his point of the um, shopping malls habituating our hearts. Yes. And so if you I, I, and and again, I'm not down on shopping malls. You know, I come from Southern California and lived very near. Um, South Coast Plaza my whole life, which at one time was the glamorous mall and most glamorous mall in America. When they decorated that mall, it was like a destination to go see it. Yeah, I bet. So so I'm not in any way putting that down and the huge crowds and all the consumerism. But I mean to say something like what Jamie Smith was saying is you compare that to your humble little four candles yeah. in an industrial park yeah. in West Atlanta. But it's so powerful. I mean, I think that it's was Jamie's so point that we have these things that can rehabituate our hearts if we intend them to do so. If they just remain a little religious tradition, they're not going to do anything. But yeah. if we bring the kind of intentionality to it that you've been suggesting today, they really can rehabituate our hearts and change our imaginations.
1: Absolutely. And that's exactly what liturgy is meant to do is to form our imaginations. Yeah.
0: So Chris, we like to end on something uh, lighter and more fun. So uh, this could be something in your you and Karen's family. It could be something at Trinity. Uh, but what comes to your mind as kind of a cherished, really moving moment of Advent?
1: Mm. I think one of my, the highlight of my year, I guess I'll, I'll keep it real with you, Todd. Um, mm-hmm. The highlight of my year Um in terms of church is our midnight Christmas Eve candlelight service. Um, and so every year I, I anticipate that time, my, my whole family, I've got three kids in in college that live in various places. They all come home. Um, we, we, they, they get pajamas on Christmas Eve and wear their pajamas, even though they're now, Mm -hmm. you know, adults, they, they wear those. (laughs) I, I trust they won't be listening to this podcast. Um, and, and we, we just, There's something about extinguishing every light in our sanctuary with hundreds of people and standing in darkness for minutes and watching the clock strike midnight and lighting that Christ candle that taught it just, Mm. it pulls me into a liminal space, into a thin space every single year. And that moment for me, it's like you're surrounded by your blood family, your spiritual family, and then in the darkness, and, you know, you've been in our sanctuary, you know, 600 and something chairs, that one candle, it throws yeah. a lot of light off. Yeah. And then we light our candles on that. And then by the time we're singing Silent Night at 1205 on Christmas morning, it's like all that preparation. It was for this. It's for it's yeah. for this holy place where we redefine our understanding of what family means. And yeah. when I look at every year, when I look at, at Advent— um, I think it all leads to that moment and then this opportunity, you know, it's no one of the things we haven't talked about is Advent is the beginning of the church here. So it's it's a new beginning in and of itself that moves us forward right. into what God yes. has. And as Christmas morning comes, um, <laughs> we go home. I put everybody to bed. We get all the presents out, and then every year I pour myself a glass of bourbon and I watch the Pope do his midnight mass. <laughs> uh, so that's how I actually end. That's in what the makes day, you Anglican.
0: It's that in, bourbon. In the day,
1: I, I I pour myself a glass and I sit by myself. No one wants to watch the Pope but me, and then I yeah. watch that midnight mass at Vatican City, and it's so fun.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, all your all your British English all your British English friends are happy to think of you as sitting there with a, a little glass of something something
1: that's right that's right <laughs> that's, that's <great>. right
0: <laughs> all right chris thank you so much i i hope this is really helpful for um the rectors and other christian leaders who are leading their churches through advent maybe some of them just diving into this canterbury stuff so thanks for sharing your experiences with us today
1: so fun it's such an honor to be with you todd god bless you my brother